Thanks for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast and this week we're talking all about the topic of emotional intelligence and I'm delighted that I've got Dr Robert Hernandez who's a Jungian trained licensed psychologist and he works with HR departments um, across the world in terms of assessing and developing strong emotionally intelligent leaders. Um, I know you do training don't you um, Robert and and you've worked for various um, companies uh, so would you like to say hello and just introduce a little bit about yourself? I'm very jealous you're coming to us from Spain at the moment, aren't you? So uh, a lovely place. Hello, Lucinda. Yes, um, well, my name is Dr. Robert Hernandez. You can call me Dr. RB or you can call me Robert. I'm a native from Miami and I have uh, lived in a couple different places in the world that I also call home, like Perth, Australia, and now Spain. And so I just love traveling, getting to meet new people, and especially helping those companies and HR leaders to really select and develop emerging leaders. So our focus is really on new leaders going into the uh, director level and up and really assessing and looking and developing for that emotionally intelligence that we've been talking about. Great. So I say, and certainly I can see from your your traveling, you 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 have to the people that you work with clearly is taking you all over the place, hasn't it? So what we were just yes. talking about off off air um, was I thought it would be useful to maybe uh, define emotional intelligence a little bit, or certainly for you to define it um, for the purpose of this podcast, because I certainly remember twenty odd years ago the Daniel Goleman books. That's where it really really became to prominence. But as I understand it, there are different there's emotional quotient there's emotional intelligence and um it'd be interesting to know what you as a psychologist would define it as for the purposes of, of this and also why it's important um why is it you know, a useful topic for us to cover on the podcast yes yeah, sure um yes daniel goldman was the first to kind of coin the term and i think it was a reaction to intelligence as it was being measured so the typical iq Um, scores and all of that. And so emotional intelligence, it's really how to be aware of the data or the information that emotions arise. Now, because I'm a, you, I consider myself a Jungian trained uh, psychologist. And what that means is I view emotions as something that comes up from the unconscious. So something that we really do not control it just comes up. What we can control is how we use it. So do we learn from it? Do we listen to it? Or do we just let it take over and and wreak havoc 
that's something that emotional intelligence is really about using wisely and in a way that mitigates risk as well as increases the chance for connection and for influencing others and really uh, understand how to handle a situation. So being resilient and optimistic. And so again, I view emotional intelligence as viewing and really understanding and paying attention to the emotions as they arise and what do we do with it and use it as information. And that's your own emotions, but it's also, I guess, how you respond to others as well, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So it applies for socially as well. So interpersonal is a big aspect um, to emotional intelligence. I believe you first start with yourself and self-awareness, and then you get into the self-expression of those emotions. How do you express them in a way that's constructive and helpful? And then, of course, that's going to translate to connecting with others, making good decisions, handling stress. All of these are different aspects of emotional intelligence. And I think it's important um, to have this dialogue, especially today with the rise of chat GBT and artificial intelligence. There's a lot of fear uh, that artificial intelligence is going to take over the world. And one of the things that makes us human is this ability to really pay attention to the emotions and allow the emotions to guide us and lead us in our day-to-day interactions with ourselves and with others, especially those that we are leading. Yeah. And I think the other thing, I suppose, today is I'm thinking about um, in the context of work with people being um, you know, potentially more people working from home, maybe there's not so much many cues. You're not seeing, you're not picking up on people's um, physical tone necessarily. So we may have to be more alert to to that. Um, or, or it comes over differently if it is, like, you know, in terms of on, on a sort of chat or something. I mean, is have you, that's probably a slight, slightly going into the media. Well, I do want to ask more on, on more about the what of emotional intelligence, but have you seen this being something related to um, how we're working differently? Is there a change there? Definitely. Um, basically, with the world of virtual, as I call it virtual leadership, there are some things that we have been used to, like the nonverbal body language, that is probably not there. In some cases, it would be kind of there, so it's a little bit uh, cut off in a way, but you still have some of it when you use video. So if there's a chance to lead others through video, then that helps a lot because you can still interpret, even though most of the time it's from the chest up, you can't see what the rest of the body is doing. So there's a limitation there. However, I think that it's very important to also understand there's a tone of voice involved. And I do believe there's an interpretation of energy, even through virtual Um, For example, Lucinda, you and I have been talking a little bit already, and I think I'm sensing some energy. I can sense a connection. I can sense, for example, if all of a sudden you decide not to pay attention to me or maybe you're distracted, I think I can pick that up. And so these are some of the things that we can take over into the virtual space. And again, and it's very interesting because as you know, meta takes over and gets bigger and other areas of virtual uh, leading, I would say that we're really going to have to rely on these uh, emotional intelligence cues to really help us lead others. Absolutely. Yeah. And and, and I was thinking, I actually really rely on um, visual cues on now we've got video. I notice if I'm say I'm doing some training or something virtually, 
I, I find it really hard if people haven't got their cameras on because I'm just trying to check whether what you're saying makes sense and, and those sort of things. So it does make a difference. Um, in terms of going back to, so the, one of the things I remember about why there was a lot of uh, excitement about emotional intelligence was that there was um, a school of thought that said that, or even evidence, maybe you can correct me, um, that emotional intelligence in leadership was actually more important from an effectiveness point of view than IQ. Now, is that a true? Is that an urban myth, or is that something that you would agree with? I would agree with it. I think it's more and more being validated in the research because it's something that's a little more nuanced. It's more difficult to have a hard data, but I think it's coming out. I really do, especially with the area of connection, because leadership doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? Um, we don't lead, you know, just ourselves. I mean, we have to lead others. And anytime you get into the social interaction, that's going to also, again, like I said earlier, it's going to present how you are relating with yourself because there is you and there's relating with yourself. And that's the first relationship. And then from there, we have to lead others and connect with others. So I think that that's also, like you said, it's very important and there's a lot more research coming out that leadership must include emotional intelligence. And a lot of leaders or a lot of even HR leaders are recognizing that they cannot just hire on competence. I think of Amy Cuddy, for example, she's an American author based in Harvard University. She teaches at the School of Business, and she talks about the balance in leadership with warmth and competence. So if you're just leading with competence, it's not going to connect you. People eventually, even though they trust you at the beginning because you're competent, eventually they're going to feel a disconnection. They're going to resent you and you're going to lose them. You're not going to be able to follow, have them follow you. So in this case, there's that balance. And I would say that warm side has a lot more to do with emotional intelligence. So when you're hiring or looking for the emerging leaders within your organization, it's really not only can they do the work, but it's also how they do the work. How can they connect with others? How do they lead others? That's going to be very important when it comes time to promoting and selecting your leaders. Yeah, and I, and I suppose the knock on to the business is it's going to be that human connection is what maybe keeps people in an organisation. So at the moment where it's, you know, retention of talent is so important, then having people are going to stay for people that they are inspired by and they and they feel connected to. So that's, that's probably a really important link there. Right. And making sure that your organisational values also uh, reflects that, especially in today's tight labor market. And it's going to get tighter, I believe, because our population is actually dwindling from a lot of those research that I've been reading. So people are actually at a point in history where they can decide where they want to work. Do they connect with this organization's values and the people or don't they? So it's more important than ever to include emotional intelligence when you're thinking about who is going to come on board, who am I going to develop within the organization? And and I guess you you would measure it because one of the things you do is selection. So do, do you, is that you would use an emotional intelligence um, questionnaire or um, like a psychometric? Or how how would you assess people's emotional intelligence if you're recruiting? Well, for selection, we use different tools. Um, I never use just one assessment because that has lower validity. So in, in this suite of tools, I would include something like the EQI2. 
um, which is one of the well-known uh, measures for emotional intelligence. And then that I would also connect with other tools like a Hogan suite or other things like that. But what's even more important of all of that is to really understand the organization, the needs of the organization, the culture, and take all of that into account before even choosing which assessment would be appropriate. Uh, I don't believe, and I'm not of the school of just neatly putting people in boxes. I mean, that would be very nice and very neat, but human nature is not nice and it's not so neat all the time. So it's very important to kind of really understand what is this organization looking for, what's going to help them in their leadership needs, and then choose accordingly. Okay. So, and then one of the other things that I often wonder about with the things like the EQI tool that you've, you've talked about then, um, to what extent, so so for, if we went in the intelligence test and it's called, you know, emotional intelligence, then I, I mean, I think people can improve, but they can't radically change their level of IQ. What to, and, and I mean, I, I'm guessing your answer is going to be, of course you can change it, otherwise you wouldn't be making a living out of training people to. But I mean, to what extent are certain people really just, find it very, very hard? Or how? to what extent can people develop their emotional intelligence? Yeah, it's a little bit different than IQ. Even though IQ, there's also the argument, which I do believe that, you know, because intelligence is you have your crystallized and you have your fluid intelligence and your fluid intelligence is something more innate, something that people are born with. And that's something that usually it's more challenging to change. But, but the crystallized, yeah, you can learn more stuff and use it and, and then you'll get a higher score in those areas. So that part, I do believe you can change. With emotional intelligence, it's very much based on the moment. So you're given scenarios and it depends on which one you choose. Now, I do also think that with coaching, you can increase those skills and that would increase your scores. So it's something it's very different. It's not a personality test. And the personality tests are the ones that I, I kind of shy away from, because, first of all, in the at least in countries like the United States, they can give you a legal issue. And so I really all in favor of what are some things that's going to help the individual grow and evolve in specific skills. So with the EQI2, they can learn where the challenges are, where their preferences are, and how can they bridge the gap. And so I, that's one of the, the reasons I do like using that tool, because they're able to go back and be coached. And included in the leadership report on this assessment, there are sections for coaching, which I really like. And so that's, you know, so in answer to your question, a long answer is basically, I do think you can learn skills and improve your emotional intelligence for sure. And I guess if you're motivated to, that's that's half the bit battle, isn't it? So in terms of self-aware, some people maybe were let, you know, accept me as they are. It's a different style of leadership is expected now in terms of that sort of thing to connect with people, to take people with you. Um, and if that is very clearly expressed in an organization that, you know, the leaders that we are going to, you know, promote are people who model these skills, I guess it gives people more of a motivation to to make the effort. Because some of that self-awareness, adapting your um interpersonal skills actually being bothered about other people and uh taking a moment to evaluate you know the, the non-verbal feedback etc there that is something that anyone can do i guess if they are sufficiently inclined it's just that some people really naturally do it um more than others 
Exactly. And and again, that's another Amy Cuddy issue because you can be very highly interactive and very warm, but then you could also lack your competence side, right? That's why you have to really balance both. And so there are a lot of leaders that are not extroverts because that's another misconception. People think leaders have to be extroverted and you have to be very um, charismatic as an extroverted. And I just want to make that distinction because I do believe that charisma is different than extroversion. And so these individuals, they can still lead with a lot of charisma, but not be so extroverted. That's one. The other thing I think it's important to keep in mind, this is where my Jungian training comes in because I do believe we need a persona or a mask that helps us adapt. Now, a persona is not for you to be inauthentic. And that's a lot of people think that, oh, I need to wear a mask. Well, that's being fake. And it's really not. It's about how do you adapt? So when you go to the organization or you go to the office as a leader, you really do have to act a certain part and you have to be in a certain role. And that's very different from waking up in the morning with your family and being in that role. So one could argue those are two different personas. One helps you adapt to your family. One helps you adapt to the organization. So I think it's important to also understand that with individuals, let's say, and I'm just going to give an example here, let's say you are a person that is a little more rigid and controlling of your environment because that's how you naturally are. And on one of the skills for emotional intelligence is to be more flexible, especially if there's a lot of stress. So how do you bridge that gap? And that's where there's a need for coaching because there are specific skills that can help you become more flexible, more adaptable. Okay, so and that's, and that's interesting. I was thinking also the um, you mentioned authentic as not about being inauthentic. Would you see there's a link between this term authentic leadership? Because that is another, uh, you know, much jargoned term, isn't it, out there that you kind of go, well, what exactly do we mean by that? Would you see these as, as sort of married together with emotional intelligence, authentic leadership? Yes, I do. Because first of all, like I mentioned before, you need to start off being self-aware. And so self-awareness is really the first step with emotional intelligence. And if you are self-aware, and when I say self-aware, for example, you and I are having a conversation right now, and I'm also aware of what emotions are going on inside of me. Maybe I'm reacting to something you're saying, or maybe it's something positive or something negative. I have to be aware. And as I am increasingly aware of what is happening inside of me, then that's going to connect me better interpersonally. So I'm able to be more vulnerable because I'm stronger. People that have a challenge of being open and vulnerable, um, which would get in the way of being authentic, I would say, and this is a general statement, but I would say that these individuals probably haven't done a lot of inner work and they're not so comfortable with what's going on inside of them. So mm -hmm. the focus is so much inside that it kind of interrupts the interpersonal aspect. So if you have a leader that is very much self-aware, then they're able to express themselves in a way that helps the relationship or helps them in their role as a leader, then that those two right there are very strong and solid to help you deal with the interpersonal and show people who you really are, your essence. And that's part of what I call the ego self-access type leadership, which is something that's part of the work that we do at Influence. 
Yeah, because actually, do you want to explain a little bit about that? Because I think I my natural follow-on question, that might actually answer um, for me. So, yeah, tell, tell us about that. It's the ego, what is it called, the ego? Ego self-access leadership, and this is also going back to Carl Jung. So Carl, the model of Carl Jung very simply is that ego is not a bad thing. It's received a lot of bad rap. <laughs> and from many people in the, in the psychological world and even in the spiritual world, and the way that I view it is pretty much based on the teachings of Carl Jung, which you need the ego to survive in the world. And that's what, for example, people that meditate and people that are focusing on the here and now, that's exercising their ego because you need the ego to live and survive in the world. The ego has to do the hard work. Now, the self is that part of you that's your true, what I call your true core, your essence. Some people call it charisma. Some people call it the divine spark inside of you. So if you have that relationship going on between the part of you that has to survive in the world and the ego, by the way, it's also where that persona, that mask gets developed because the ego learns how to do that to adapt and But if there's that relationship between the part that's facing the world and the part that's facing one's inner world, you could say, that makes the person stronger. And even though the outside world will throw things at you, having that inner strength, that inner resilience and connection, that's where you're able to lead. And that's part of how we develop and coach our emerging leaders. It's kind of congruence, is it? That person's comfortable with themselves in their own skin, which allows them to therefore, I, I guess, be, they're not trying to be something that they're not. So they're much more relaxed in terms of supporting others. I think you see those people who are sort of quietly confident. Also links back to your point that people don't need to be extroverts. Actually, often the, the, the quieter people are, are more um, comfortable and able to bring others out and to, to be the best that they can that can be. Exactly. You said it exactly right. Beautifully said. All right. I'm, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. Okay. So, um, <laughs> so in terms of the EQ, if, if you were um, going to work with somebody that's all running a course on something like this to develop our, our EQ, um, where would you start? How would you go about doing that? Well, actually, it's funny you said that we have a course called Leading with EQ, and it's something that we are, uh, we've completed recently. So the first module we're offering it free. And the way that we do that, it's again, we are all about having hands-on, being very experiential, uh, playful in our approach, which is interesting because I I love being very deep with theory and con concepts. That's why I'm Jungian trained. But in order to really help leaders develop and be successful in their role, they have to know what to do. So it has to be behavioral. Yeah, you can speak concepts and theory all you like, but it has to be behavioral. So in the course, Leading with EQ, it starts off right away with an activity. I don't even introduce myself because part of our culture at Influence, we jump right into an activity and then we introduce ourselves. We don't usually like to introduce like in most uh, programs or even whenever you hear something start, people usually introduce themselves. In our program, we start with an experience because I think through the experience, they will understand us a little bit more and then the verbal introduction comes after and that's kind of the taste that we gave it uh for the first module of leading with eq so uh and i can and that's interesting having had a background in training and facilitation i can see how that that must be quite powerful because it it's 
Um, some people that will wildly unsettle um, and some people will love it because it's fun and, and free. So it will actually sort of just enliven everything I can I can see certainly. So you do an experience. Give me an example of what, of what sort of thing might you might get people to do then that uh, before you introduce yourself. Well, in the, and I'll give, I mean, I don't mind giving a little bit away because it's that free module, but for example, we ask them to find an object that represents how they have felt since 2020. So we're talking about three in most industries has been very difficult. And so we want them to choose an object that best represents that. And then in this course, they choose it, they get to describe it. And then we go a little bit deeper and sort out what is the definition of emotional intelligence. And we kind of play a little bit with that as well. So it's really about having that experience. And when you have an experience, it stays with you a lot longer than with just verbal content or something that you're reading. That usually doesn't stay as long. Yeah, yeah, because you have the emotions attached to it, don't you, as well? So it's that's, I suppose, again, doing that at the start, people will be surprised, and this is going to be totally different. It's not, I'm going to be on, oh, same old, same old training course. So you energize people. So um, yes. is, that, um, is that then your example of play, the experience? Because you've got a model, haven't you, that you kind of work around your training. Is that the play bit, or is that something different? No, that's exactly it. So with play, um, we really use all the different kinesthetic, adult learning uh, theory that's out there, we incorporate that into the training. So there's a lot of play. Our interactive lectures, if you want to even call them that, they're about 20 minutes. And I say interactive because even when we are describing a concept, then it's also very interactive. And we get them talking and opening up. And then the play part is to get them physically into whatever they're learning. And again, that's all about experience. And then from there, we go into the drill deep because of course you can stay at the surface and you can make it fun and interactive, but if they don't have a, an experience that actually changes them or an experience that gets them to reflect in a deeper way, then they're gonna leave the same as when they came in. So for us, it's about playing, it's about drilling deep, and then you reflect on the work. So even with every activity that we do at Influence, there's always a part that's the debrief, which, you know, it's not rocket science to anybody that's facilitating nowadays. There's usually a debrief in any activity, but we like to make sure that that debrief is deeper and experiential. And then from there, they get to integrate those skills in their role, and then they get to evolve. So we believe that when we they leave our program, that they have some real granular level skills that they can use. And then by using those skills, they're taking their leadership to the next level. And with the, you said granular skills there. So um, I, so I appreciate that the model is that makes sense in terms of reflection and deep diving into it. With, with the granular skills or when you're designing a program, obviously I, I recognize that you would design it slightly differently for different organizations because that would be yeah. cultural. Um, and I guess in terms of emotional intelligence, different people, because there are different aspects to it, aren't there? Um, in terms of like whether it's resilience or whether it's about sort of interacting with intrapersonal skills or interpersonal skills. Um, do, do you sort of have a set of, of modules that you go into for everybody? And then the coaching differentiates it or um, yeah, yeah. To, to what extent do you vary the content, I suppose? 
You're absolutely right. With every organization, it's tailored. So we don't offer uh, box uh, training programs or things off the shelf like that. We have, uh, and I'm glad you said modules, because all our programs are almost like Lego blocks. So they have 90 minute modules, and then we built on those 90 minutes. And those 90 minutes are all tailored. So for example, we use a lot of vignettes and situations. So we have to have a lot of research and dialogue with people within those organizations. Uh, usually they're subject experts. It could be the HR uh, VP that we're talking to, or they could assign someone to talk with us. Uh, I'm just thinking recently, we have a, a client that is also, it's interesting because it's a client that handles virtual HR matters for okay. many different organizations and they're worldwide. And so we're going to be do, starting a program next week with them. And we spoke to a subject matter expert that basically told us, you know, these are account managers that they just don't know how to say no. And they're terrified they're going to lose these clients and then sales is going to be upset with them. And if they break the laws to make the clients happy or the rules, then you have operations that's breathing down their neck. So these poor people that are caught in the middle, they have to understand when can I draw the line and when can I really focus on the product that I'm offering, give a lot of value to that product, and then how does that shape the relationship I'm having with them? Because even as a even in personal relationships, you don't ever give it away. Uh, in the U.S., there's that saying where you don't give the the you don't give the cow away and give the milk for free. And so it's something very similar to that. You really mind the relationship is a give and take. So it's for you to say, okay, this is a time where I can give. And this is a time where I draw the line. And that's one of the things, if any of them are listening, they know that those are one of the things that we're going to be uh, talking about. So that would be an example of how we tailor the program to that specific organization. We dial some stuff up and some stuff down. So just, I suppose, as we talk, draw towards the end of the um, podcast, if you were to reflect on all the training you've done, all the organizations you've worked with, what aspect of emotional intelligence would you say um, leaders today most need to develop? What's the most common gap that you come across? And have you any tips in terms of how people can um, improve it? I think one thing is how to speak with your own voice. A lot of leaders, I call them mailbox leaders. And this is not a term I came up. I actually borrowed it from Lisa, who, who's actually one, she's in charge now of the program for next week. Um, Lisa basically had calls the mailbox leaders, which is when a leader receives some message from a higher up, and this could even be the CEO themselves receiving a message from the board, and all they do is pass it along, just like a mailman would, without yeah. stopping it, thinking about it, how do I feel in reaction to this? How am I going to express it? So I would say self-awareness, self-expression are pretty big. That's what we see a lot nowadays. There's either the tendency to kind of please as many people as you can, which is one side. And on the other side, you just want to control as many people as you can to just make it easy for yourself. And they're both kind of out of whack. So self-expression, self-awareness, and then I would also even add that interpersonal piece. And under that, I would say assertiveness training, which is where you draw the line, which is something I'm going to do next week. And how do you really hold people accountable? 
So if somebody says they're going to do something, get them to commit to a date and get them to say, what specifically are you going to do? Tell me in your own words what you are going to do. And they have to spell it out for you, give yourself a date, and then you meet shortly after that date and you assess, did you do what you say you were going to do? Is it exactly how you thought it would be? Did you plan it the right way? Those are all kind of different questions that they could grapple with. And this could be done in a coaching session or with one of our follow-ups, because we also offer follow-ups to every program that we do about 45 days out just to assess, has the learning changed anything? Has it sunk in? Are they behaving differently? Is their leadership role a lot better? And so we always offer these 45 day out uh, kind of follow-up sessions. So we get to see them there. So I would say those are the the ones that really pop up uh, lately would be that self-awareness, self-expression, and then the interpersonal, especially in the areas of assertiveness. Yeah, I was just reflecting then because I, I was working on the 360 questions for a client this morning. And um, I thought that whole thing about holding accountable is actually really quite hard. It's quite it's relatively easy to sort of appear to walk the talk to, you know, to model, you know, model the right behaviours. But then actually making sure that things happen um, is, it's, you know, holding people accountable in a, in a kind but really consistent way uh it is is a, a skill it's a real art and I can see that that's something challenging and being sort of confident slash assertive enough to to do that and to 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 make things change it's, that's probably when I think about it the difference between really effective cultures and organizations where they have leaders that do that and less effective ones where you know misbehavior is kind of ignored that, that it's, it's not picked up I think that's, that's a really I can see how that's really really important I like that. I think I'm going to take away, Lucinda, I'm sorry I interrupted you. I'm going to take away the kind and consistent. I think that is really well said. I really like how you put it. I think consistency is one of the things that actually um, is really hard to do. I find it personally really hard to do because I like change. Um, But it's the thing that makes a difference for people to have trust, right? It's in terms of people being able to trust that things are going to happen and um, and happen in a repeatable basis. And people do things because they know you're going to ask the question. Whereas if they think, oh, I can ignore it because it'll go away, then uh, nothing changes, does it? So yes, I think it, it's a personal challenge. That's maybe my EQ personal challenge, but certainly I know it makes a difference to things happening. Yes. <laughs> It's been really great having you on the podcast. I've, I've much appreciated your expertise and, and your sharing all of your, your insights there. Um, would you like to share for the benefit of the audience how people can get hold of you? And also you mentioned there's some free resources on your website. Would you like to just point people to those? Sure. Uh, so our website is www.influence, and I'll spell it because it's a little bit different. It's I-N as in Nancy, F as in Frank, L-U-E, NS is in Sam. So you drop the C and the E and you just add an S dot com. And there, there's some free resources. And like I mentioned before, there is a link that will take you to the Leading with EQ, which is our latest course. And that's pretty much a course design because it was, it's been on demand for about two years, virtually as well as in person, but we're actually going to do it on demand and go there and take the first module for free. And we welcome your feedback. Brilliant. Thank you. That's that's great. And we'll put the links in the show notes for people. And of course, I'll put your LinkedIn profile in the show notes as well. Shall I, Robert? So if people want to um, link out, link into you, I guess they can get you through the website too. Yes. 
Super. So um, thank you so much for joining. Uh, enjoy your travels over the next few weeks. Um, and really appreciate you coming on the HR Uprising podcast. Thank you, Lucinda. It was great. Thank you. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.